Welcome to A Thousand and One Good Nights, a podcast about the stories behind bedtime stories. Follow along with two new dads, one a psychologist and one a book editor, as they explore the nighttime ritual of their foreseeable future. Hey, Ben. Hey, Nick. You ready to talk about what is possibly the shortest book we've ever done an episode on? I'm shy. Yeah, let's let's do it. So you uh, you introduced me to this book. Um, we had I never had this as a kid. Obviously, I think it's, it's uh, I think it's on the newer side. Um, but my kids have never seen it either. Oh no, actually, first published 1993. Okay, it's not that. It's not that new. You know, that's anyway. pop up pop up octopus books are they have a timeless quality to them. So <laughs> evergreen, we call it. <laughs> um yeah, okay. So tell me why this book is such a big hit in your guys' home. Well, one of the reasons I picked this is just because Delia really likes interactive books. Uh I, I guess Jack did too. He really liked that turtle book where you could press the turtle and it would it would light up my, my mm-hmm. turtle and me. But Delia definitely enjoys books where there's pop-ups or there's they're three-dimensional in a way where she can move flaps around and, and interact and i thought like we have given a little bit of short shrift to those because it's it's hard to describe them <laughs> and, and there's, there's not as much text or plot to talk about but we've also um, been living in the long shadow of pat the bunny that's so. right <laughs> So maybe maybe we thought we've 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 closed the we've squashed the pop up or the, the the extra elements of that. No, and, and but she really likes this, and I'm actually of of all these books, this is maybe the one that I'm the most charmed by. Um, so I thought this would be a, a good stand-in for all these, and and it's also a good book to to do because uh, David A. Carter, who wrote it, he also in some ways wrote the book on pop up books, so he's he's written a lot the elements of pop-up and how to make a pop-up and, yeah. and, and things like that. So he uh, seems to know what he's about. Um, so just, I, I won't call it the plot, but the, but the way the book is set up or, or constructed is you flip through it and um, it starts off and there's just, obviously there's a lot of moving components and there's just an eye uh, in a black circle and it says who's in the hole. And then gradually as you open pages, more and more of this uh, octopus, the body of the octopus is revealed and he says, I'm shy. And then he gradually folds back up into the hole and says, goodbye. He says, it was nice to meet you. Goodbye. And then the last thing you see is, and you have to really sort of hold the the pages to, to catch a glimpse of him as his eye retreats back and he says, bye-bye. Is that, we're we talking the same, the same pop-up? <laughs> Yeah, that about sums it up. Um, I uh, so right off the bat, I will agree with you that I well, I generally don't like pop up or interactive books, but I find this book oddly soothing. I, I, it's it's very nice. It's just a it's um, yeah, I, I kind of like it, um, and I'm not and, sure and, why. Maybe we can explore this. Yeah, well, so what one thing is that I uh, we talked about this with Goodnight Moon. There is something to be said for bedtime stories. Is something that that puts people in a, a mindset for bed, and and sometimes uh, pop up books are they 
are more activity driven. So not that they are riling the kids up, but there's some element of that. And also sometimes pop-up books make me nervous just because it's easy for them to, to be torn and, and, and ripped and you have to be careful about turning the pages. But there's some of the rhythms of this book that uh, it it's about an octopus slowly coming out and then going back in. And there's this almost mm-hmm. hypnotic quality to the way that yeah. the eye vanishes and the the octopus's arms fold out and fold back in. I, it almost feels like a breathing exercise of some sort. So who is this? And I, and I, I find that when I read it, my voice takes on a more mellifluous quality. <laughs> like I'm relaxed by, mm-hmm. by, by, the, by the act of, of reading the book. So m- maybe that's part of it. And even the, so visually too, the, the colors, like the background colors are these kind of calming, um, kind of like a, a purpley blue and then a lighter blue. So it's calming blue, all the, they're, they're virtually, I don't know if there are any straight lines in this book. No. It's all curves. Um, and even though the octopus is yellow, kind of an orangey yellow. Well, he's yellow when, when he, there, in the very center of the book, when he comes out and, and you see him in all his eight arm glory and he, and he stretches above the book and then he's very yellow. But in the early stages, he's sort of a yellowish black, kind of a, a muted, darker shadowed yellow, maybe is, is the way to say it. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think it's the other thing too, that I actually, I think makes a big difference is the, the font is big. I, I think a lot of a lot of books have font that's too small and it makes it kind of stressful. It makes it harder to read. But when the font is like big and easy, I think it actually leads to a more relaxing experience. What do you... But no, I, I had not thought of that, but I, I think that's the case. And so uh, I think that we also associate the larger the font is, the more it sounds like, the more audible it seems to be. Um, so, so yeah, so, and, and I, uh, and I, and I always think of this example. So I had an, I had an author that I was working with that, that actually had uh, a pretty poor vision. So he would, he would send me emails and everything was in huge font. Oftentimes oh, yeah. it, was, it was big and, and a caps lock on. And at first I just thought that he was yelling at me, but that's just what he <laughs> needed to be able to, to see it. But I couldn't see the the large font without without hearing it be without in my in the round of my skull hearing it at a, a higher a higher right. decibel level than just than just small text and so for some reason when it's it it seems more spoken than like I think we're used to sometimes uh-huh. if it's if the font is small it seems like a caption but right. if it's larger it seems like a speech bubble or, or something like that. Yeah, I buy that. But can we can we talk about that a little bit? Because I'm confused. So I can almost read through it because it's it's short enough. It, it starts off. It says, "Who's in the hole?" and and won't you please come out? Don't be afraid. And I assume that because we just see the octopus's eye peeking out at the very beginning, that we're that that's sort of a, a narrator or the, the the reader of the book is saying that. So I've got my kids on either side of me, and we're staring at it, and I'm we're we're all talking to the octopus together and saying. Who's, who is that in there, Jack? Won't you please come out? Don't, don't be afraid. Whoever's in there. But, but then, you're talking to the you're talking to the octopus. That's what I assume. But then at the end, like, but then in the middle of it, he says, "I'm an octopus. I'm shy. I think I'll go now." And so obviously, it's the octopus has been talking all along. So is is he seeing? Do we imagine him on the other end, like he sees 
just a little pinhole version of us and he's trying to lure us out or what's, yeah, and you, like, and what's even going the, on there? The last two pages are ambiguous. It's, it was nice to meet you. Bye-bye. That could be the octopus or it could be you, right. the narrator again, right? Like saying, yeah, saying that to the octopus. Right. I don't and, know. <laughs> and so here's where I think this book is actually really clever because it's about shyness and bashfulness. Uh-huh. And there really is, uh, octopus is, is kind of a, a scary creature. Yep. Right. Uh, it's in these nature documentaries, like octopus and cuttlefish, they're, there's, there's sort of monsters of the deep, but in this it's a shy octopus. And so both maybe the, the kid who's being read to and the octopus are a little bit uncertain in this mm-hmm. idea of two uncertain creatures meeting and then retreating. And, uh, and, and I, I like how maybe it, it's one of those reverse psychology things where the, the octopus, he, the, the, the kids are excited to, just because the octopus, he, listen, he's not really sure if he wants to be here either. So we can all just kind of calm down, feel right. each other out on this. And then when, when he goes, they always say, Oh, he, it's almost, he, he, he went too soon. <laughs> don't overstay your welcome. So he's, I don't know. Right. That... This is a perfect example of like quitting while you're on top. This right. Book, like it just, I just like you get in and you get out quickly. So the whole, the experience of reading, even if you are a little, if you're a kid who's kind of shy about octopus, scary octopuses, it's mercifully brief and it allows you to kind of warm up through a few different readings right. to the octopus. So I, yeah, I think that makes total sense as a, as a reading. And then also just that the, the octopus is yellow, which is a very, it's about the friendliest color, right? I would say, right? So I think that probably helps. And it's, you know, it's, it's illustrated well. He's got these nice eyes and a, he's kind of smiling or she. I don't know if it's he or she. You know, no, know? A, lot of, a lot of mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, um, would, would, you, would you put your kids in the shy or extroverted? Would you say, I guess those aren't... Uh, those aren't necessarily, you can be shy and be extroverted simultaneously so that they're not necessarily mutually exclusive categories. But would you say that your kids identify with the octopus or that they, that they, they're also uncertain when they're in situations where they're, they're outside of their comfort zone? Yeah. I think my, my first daughter especially is, I don't know if I would describe her as shy, but she's, she's definitely an observer. Like when she's in a new situation or around new people, she likes to kind of hang out and like watch, she'll watch, sort of watch people. And before she, dives in and like that's her teacher's comment on that um at school that she she does a lot of watching first so i but i I wish i'd had this book when she was younger (laughs) so we'll see with i'll i'll uh, test it out on evangeline and then we'll we'll compare and see what kind of a personality she grows into and see whether uh she relates to it because i kind of wonder if is it maybe it's it's a few lessons simultaneously is it that you're learning to be gentle with people that are shy or you're learning that maybe you yourself are shy and so you're not the only shy person. And so it's, you can have cur- take courage because, right. you know, every, everybody has a, has, has a little shyness to them. Yeah. It, so it's, if you're a shy kid reading it, it's very validating of your own experience. And if you're, a, if you're an extroverted uh, kid reading it, you get a, it's uh, empathy inducing, maybe um, it, it kind of gives you a window into how other people work. Do you think that, uh, something that you hear all the time is, is well, they're just as scared of you as you are of them or just sort of put yourself in their shoes kind of things all, all times with other animals. Um, Jack uh, just last night watched uh, an animated version of a book about, uh, or a story about monsters and, 
there's a monster in a boy's closet, but then eventually the monster ends up being just as scared as the boy and the boy has to tuck the monster in. Mm. And the idea was that you, maybe monsters aren't that scary. You just get to know them and then actually you take care of them. And Jack did not take that message to heart whatsoever. He was terrified <laughs> by the monster. Then he just sort of saw it as the monster had displaced the boy from his own bed. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there's a kind of a old psychological reading of fairy tales, which is that the the emotional function of fairy tales is that they, and maybe children's literature more generally, is that they they present monsters and, and kids have to sort of deal with and encounter monsters in the stories, and that that it's sort of a bridge to dealing with their own inner monsters, right? Sure. So if they, if they get really angry, right? It's like how how do I sort of? It's not that anger is a bad thing necessarily. It's how do I relate to and kind of deal with it differently. Right. So I, yeah, I, I think that can be going on here. Um, and, and just, you know, just because it doesn't happen all at once with, with one book, uh, doesn't right. mean it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 this is a, it's a surprisingly, um, for kind of emotional book in the sense that maybe it's doing all these things with shyness and empathy, but it's, I, I was really struck by how calming it was for me like i really i i'm I'm, i think i'm i'm back on the interactive book train Uh, i've been (laughs) off for a while (laughs) pat pat the bunny left a a bit of a sorry you said you said delia treats this as an interactive book does all the octopus does the octopus have all their tentacles left or or no well i mean surprisingly this is a surprisingly maybe just well-crafted book the uh the, the centerfold octopus Puses definitely bent and the worst for wear. And I think there is, I have, uh, yeah, there's definitely some tentacle tips fl- floating around our house. And <laughs> there was talk of trying to, to reattach them because this is a beloved book, but I think probably not. <laughs> probably this on some pages, the bashful octopus is a bashful seven tentacled <laughs> octopus. And that's just going to be the way it is. That's the way say la vie. Um, and definitely, you know, the, uh, and, and part of it is that this is an interactive book, but I'm usually the one turning the pages. Whereas some of the other ones where you lift up a flap to see what's behind the bush or, or, or things like that, the kid is doing it. And so Delia tends to be pretty forceful when she's, when she's turning flaps. So in general, when you guys are doing like story time or reading books together, what percentage of the time overall, are you holding the book versus the kids holding the book? Would you say? Um, I'm usually holding the book but they're often they'll often grab a page or or turn back a page if if, gotcha. if they want to see something again um our, our progress through books isn't always linear there's sometimes <laughs> we, we we go back and forth and then they they often spend a lot of time uh just playing with the books as objects themselves so right. that's that's when a lot of ripping tends to happen I would have said that I, you know, I probably hold it 90, 95% of the time, but more m- lately, my oldest daughter has been more interested in holding the book herself. She wants to hold it while I read it. Um, uh, and she's holding it, you're reading it, and the the other two are present or not? Is it this just, yeah. just for her? Well, uh, yeah, Gabriella is usually present too. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't really care at this point. But just lately, Elena's oh, taken an interest in wanting to hold it. But she doesn't really she waits patiently until I'm done reading. And so it's not like she wants to skip around a lot or something, but she's just interested in 
yeah, holding on to it more often, which I think is, I don't know what to make of that yet, but. Yeah, what do you think uh, it means to, to hold to, to hold the book? Just to be involved in, in some way or to. I think part of it might just be, um, <laughs> might just be like angling. Like it's just easier to see if you, yeah. like I think, I think as a reader, I take that for granted that I sort of implicitly give myself the best view of oh, yeah, <laughs> the book if I'm not careful. So I actually think maybe our kids are getting, um, worse views on the book than we think they oh, are. They, they can't, like, because we need to see it, and we have to see it to, to read it, so to read it. we're obviously, we're going to tilt it so that we can, yeah, that's it. I, I never really thought about that. Hey, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Thousand and One Good Nights. If you want to learn more about this book and other bedtime stories, check out our website at 1001goodnights.com. That's 1001goodnights.com. Be sure to sign up for our monthly email newsletter to get updates about upcoming seasons and other new content. Finally, please help us out by rating the show on iTunes. This helps spread the word about the show and get it in front of new listeners each week.